Well, good evening. How are you doing tonight? Good? Super? Fantastic? Terrific. Okay, that's good. Was it, uh, was it because we got some sun the past couple days? Did people enjoy that? Oh, that was nice. You get to see the, the sun shining on the trees, see all the changing colors. Isn't fall awesome? Whose favorite season is fall? Whose favorite season is winter where you see no leaves at all? Yes, and it's just cloudy every day. Seasonal depression. Yes, somebody's cheering for that. We, yes, we're pretty sick here in West Virginia. Seasonal depression is loved and real, sadly. Yes. Well, uh, in thinking about leaves and changing, I love the changing leaves. I love them. I think they are, you know what, pause. I just realized some of you are worried. I didn't forget. I was almost like, oh, I'm not going to do it tonight, but I got to. Dad joke. Yes. Yes. And don't worry. Tonight is, it's bad. And I only have one. So I'm telling you it's bad ahead of time. That's how you know it's bad. I don't even believe in it. And I'm saying it. In a Christian restaurant, what is the secret chief ingredient? Jesus. Jesus, come on, come on. Andy's looking at me and she is not satisfied. No, no, okay, I'll back away slowly from that. I'm getting, I'm getting some applause. All right, well, back to the leaves. We'll talk about the leaves. Everybody likes the changing leaves. They're beautiful. You got some red, you got some orange. You just got really cool, really cool colors. One thing as I think about the changing leaves is I just think about change in general. Some of us change, well, we all change. We're always changing, changing for the better, changing for the worse. I think about one of the most significant changes I ever made in my life, and that was in my period of time, and some of you know this story. There, so Eminem, Jay-Z, 50 Cent. 50 Cent was actually cool back in the day, and, and 50 Cent, like, these were some people that people kind of wanted to be like. And if you notice, these guys all have a similarity. They are um, ruffians. Or thugs. Or at least wannabe. Or at least they give off the appearance of that. And uh, being a thug, or at least appearing like a thug, was, was kind of a big thing when I was in high school. And so I had a period of time. I would show a picture, but fortunately I don't have any pictures of that from that period of time in my life, where I wanted to be a thug, where I wanted to at least come off as pretty hard, pretty tough, like, you know what, like, no one can mess with me. Only problem was is that I grew up in the suburbs, and the suburbs of Houston, and so, you know, most of us, life was pretty good, you know, both parents were home, they loved us dearly, they were very encouraging, but when we left the house, we had to act like we were tough, you know, we had to act like our, you know, we were, we were, you know, on the grind. That, that's what we had to do. And so in this period of time in high school where I'm trying to be like a thug, basically, or at least appear like that, I have an experience that kind of changes my outlook forever. And I just, it was, it was in this experience that I was like, I'm done. I'm done. It was basically the beginning of senior year. I'm at a football game. And 
I'm with my friends. Well, one of a couple of them got into some beef with some other guys, and a lot of things were said. But basically, they come back and they say, "Hey, these guys are saying this, and we got to go get them." And we're all like, "Oh yeah, we're big and bad. Let's go and get them." And so we go out to the parking lot, and we think that they're there. But these three guys jump in their car and kind of speed off. So we're like, "All right, let's chase them." And some other people have heard. Some other people have heard about this, and so. They're like, yeah, let's tag along because this is something's gonna happen. It'll be fun. So it's about seven cars of us, and these three people in one car. Seven cars, and we've packed out. Some of these cars have like more than the capacity, what the car capacity is. But we're all chasing, and we're driving around the suburbs of Houston. This is what Northwest Houston, and we're driving around. We're driving around for about 15 minutes. Well, they pull into an apartment complex, a gated apartment complex, that we can't get in. So we're, you know, pretty determined. So we just hang out outside the gates, waiting for them to come out. Well, I don't know why. You'll find out in a second. They do come back out. They come back out, and we're like, hey, there they are. There they are. So we all hop back in our cars, and we continue to chase them. Well, we get to this underpass, and there they are at this light under an underpass. And the only underpass that we have like this in town that I can uh, think of, freeway underpass, is the Saberton exit. Think of the Saberton exit, you know, you drive under the freeway. But there in Houston, the underpasses are really big because, well, these are not like two lane highways. These are eight lane highways, highways per direction. So it's eight lanes for one side. It's a very big underpass. So we pull up under the underpass behind them and we all get out of our car because they're stuck at the light. As we get out of our cars, they get out, just the three of them, they get out of their car and it just happens, it just so happens that one of them has a semi-automatic rifle and another one of them has a shotgun and another one of them just has a handgun, just a measly old handgun. And they don't, they don't get out making threats. They get out and start shooting immediately. And there's like over 25 of us, and we're just like, like everyone is like, what? Like, so immediately everybody's like running back to their cars. They like bust like a few windshields, like shoot into cars. So people's cars got hit. No one, no one got hit. I don't, I, to this day, we don't know how it happened, but no one gets hit. We all like speed away. We go to this jack in the box because none of us have any weapons. We're all suburban thugs. We're, this is a joke to us. We, it just, it's ridiculous. And so we're at this jack in the box and I'm looking around at everyone and everybody's like freaking out. And then a couple, uh, the leaders of our, our crew, there's a couple of them, they're like, hey, is everyone all right? Is everyone all right? And we're like, yeah, everyone's, everyone's safe. And they look around and like, all right, let's go back. <laughs> and I'm looking at this and I'm like, are y'all serious? With what weapons? We don't even have any bats. We don't have brass knuckles. We don't have anything. We have our words and our fists. No, this is, and then it just, it just hits me. It just, it was like a message from heaven. <laughs> y'all are crazy. <laughs> y'all have a problem. I don't want to be a part of this. And so I'm like, I asked, I asked my, my closest friends, are y'all staying for this? 
And they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, I'm not. I get in my car. I don't care who's riding with me. And I just drive home. It was a pretty long drive home. But in that moment, I had determined, you know what? I don't care what everybody else says is cool. I'm not doing that. That's stupid. That was a very special moment for me because that was, that was like one of the most courageous things that I ever did in my entire life. I still look at that fondly and think like, oh, that was, that was a big moment. Because where I was, I mean, those guys were really cool. They were very cool in our high school. And, and I'm just like, you know what? I may be made fun of. And people may think I'm lame, and people may think that, oh, yeah, Jordan, Jordan doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to do that. Jordan wants to be a nerd. A lot of things were said when I, like, kind of backed away from that crew. But I was like, this is stupid. I'm not doing what everybody else thinks I should be doing just because people say that's what's cool. Now, as ridiculous as that scenario is, we can all kind of relate with that. I think so, at least, because we all have things coming in from the outside saying, like, what is cool and what isn't? I think of, like, I don't know, as I'm thinking about this word courage. I think about different people that are, like, shown to be, like, courageous, like tough guys or shown to be, like, brave, uh, brave men and women. And usually in pop culture, it's not what you typically see. It's not somebody standing up to do the right thing. It's actually the person who's like determined to do the wrong thing and no one can get a hold of them. You know what I mean? Like I'm above the rules. Some of you are looking at me like kind of confused. I think of like back in the day, your parents and the movies that they watched, you got like Clint Eastwood, you know, you know Clint Eastwood fans. No one can tell him what to do. You got Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, he's above the law. He's big muscles. Get down. Get to the chopper. You know, it's like, I, was, I feel like I wonder what the director of the first movie he was in is like, hey, should we tell him that there's an R in chopper or should we just, just leave it alone? He's Arnold, you know, and so they just let it go. And he's just like Sylvester Stallone, Rambo, just guys above the rules. Or even today you got like in Stranger Things. Who's some people said, oh, we got Steve, he was the tough guy in season one, but in season two, who's our tough guy? Billy. Yes, I think I have a picture of Billy. There he is. Come on, look at that. That's what you see, heartthrob, courageous, he's tough. No one can tell him what to do. Oh, don't play him in basketball because you'll get hurt. Steve can tell you about that. Look, as ridiculous as all of this sounds, like... Tonight, what I want to talk about is being courageous. I want to talk about Jesus and his courage. And I think all of us can relate with this because as we have, like, pressing in different people's ideas of what is courageous and what isn't courageous, we all find ourselves in these situations, from what I hear, I've never been a WVU student, but from what I hear as a WVU student, I hear it takes a lot of courage to say no to going out because that's kind of what everyone else is doing. And so if you don't, if you don't want to go out, well, then you're kind of lame. Or people say whatever they want to say about you or people misunderstand you or whatever it is. It can be kind of intimidating. Or I think about like drugs are pretty cool here. They weren't that cool where I went to school, but they're pretty cool here. You think about the pressure. Okay, am I going to be courageous enough to 
oh yeah, everyone else is doing it. Let me just try this or let me try that. Or you think about the pressure to just hide away and be like a closet Christian because in class, your professor makes a joke about being a Christian or about Jesus. And the other Christians in class don't want to say anything because of the pressure and how intimidating it is in, in that environment. Or just think about some of you have come from homes where, well, loving Jesus isn't actually, like it's, it's against the grain. And so you don't want to talk about that with your family. You don't want to talk about what's gone on with you and your heart this semester or your interest that you may have in Jesus. You just want to keep that to yourself. As I think about courage and what courage is, courage is a word that I think all of us can relate with in regards to how we think, but we don't usually think about it. Like it's not a word that's like always in the back of our mind, but it is a word that is kind of like always before us. And when I think about courage, I would say courage is choosing what is right in the face of fear and doubt. Choosing what you know to be right in the face of fear and doubt. It's potentially risking everything to do what you know to be right. It's taking that risk. It's letting yourself dream. It's letting yourself do what you know you should do. And courage, courage is an awareness plus a resolve to act. It's an awareness plus a resolve to act. It means that you are aware of what danger is before you, potential danger, but it's a resolve to act no matter the consequences. It's not courage. It's not courage if you are like, I talk, I mentioned those ridiculous examples, you know, we got Sylvester Stallone, Rambo, I got Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think about this movie, uh, Predator, any, any, any Predator fans? This old school movie. These guys are like super macho men. It's a very funny movie if you watch it now. But one part in the movie is this guy's like, this guy is like, basically, he's this huge guy who just thinks that no one can mess with him. And then this very scrawny guy is tagging along and he's like, hey, don't you know that you're bleeding? Because the guy got hit with like, I don't know, he got cut somewhere and he was like, I ain't got time to bleed. And it's like one of the best one-liners of the entire movie. I love it. But that's not courage. That's stupidity. <laughs> and and those, have to, those have to be separated. They do. Like, if you're looking, if, if you are never scared or never worried, you're not courageous. You're this isn't a nice word, but you're kind of an idiot. You're not smart. Fear is normal. It is. And we'll go for, more into that. And I don't like using like mean and hard words, but that, that has to be said. Courage is not like never being afraid. Jesus is going to help us to see that, in fact, If you're walking with God, if you're following what you know to be right, you will always be before fear. All right, all right, we'll keep going. Why is this relevant? I've kind of hinted at it, but I'll just kind of say it plainly. Fear is before us all. King Basil King, he's a writer, kind of an old dude, wrote stuff like 100 years ago. He declares that fear dogs one person in one way and another person in another way. 
but it dogs everyone in some way. Fear messes with one person one way. Look, you may not be afraid of the things that I'm afraid of, but that means that I'm not, I'm, I probably am not afraid of the things that you're afraid of. But everything is, everyone is afraid of something. Everyone. And that's, that's okay. One of my favorite authors, a guy named F.W. Borm. Anyone? F.W. Borm fans? Yes, he's awesome. He says this, There is not a home, nor an office, nor a factory, nor a school, nor a church in which some hang dog, hang dog apprehension is not eating at the hearts of men and women and children who go in and out. We are not sick all the time. We are not sinning all the time. But all of us are afraid of someone or something at some time. Then is the situation. There is the problem. Something, whatever that something may be, has certainly made cowards of us all. We are not sick all the time. We are not sinning all the time. But all the time, all of us are afraid of someone or something. Anybody? I just, you know, I don't usually have books, but I realize that I have this boring book and I don't need it. Would anybody be interested in it? All right, we'll just come and get it. Enjoy, Lauren. Enjoy. He is my favorite author. He's awesome. We are not sick all the time, and we're not sinning all the time, but we are always gripped with fear in some way. Joshua. Joshua is a book in the Bible, really cool book. I am, like, fascinated because at the very beginning of Joshua, Joshua takes over from Moses. Moses has led the Israelites, an entire nation, some couple million people, out. They were slaves in Egypt, and he takes them out. He leads them out. But he doesn't take them into the promised land, into the country that, it, that God has prepared for them. A man named Joshua, his successor, is supposed to do that. And as Moses is preparing the way for Joshua, in his final words to Joshua, he says this. Hey, as you're going to take over, he says three different times, be strong and courageous. Three different times. Then what happens right after that? The Lord speaks to Joshua after Moses has passed. And Joshua's up here. He's leading by himself. And then three different times, God says to him, be strong and courageous. And then when he's talking to the people, he's talking about leading them, and they say to him, Hey, Joshua, if we could just encourage you in one way, would you make sure that you would be strong and be courageous? Seven times, seven times they say to him, Be strong and courageous. That fascinates me, but it also makes so much sense to me because these people. They were supposed to make an 11, a two-week journey, an 11-day journey from Egypt to the promised land, and it took them 40 years. Why did it take them 40 years? Because 10 of their 12 leaders were cowards. And it was because of the fear of 10 of their 12 leaders that they had to spend 40 years in the wilderness because their leaders wouldn't step up. When I look at that, it fascinates me. A fearful leader can keep a generation out of the promised land. And a courageous leader can take a generation into the promised land. Man. All right, well, what does what Jesus' life say to us? 
And this is, I'm going to read, this is a story of the garden of, of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. There is a ton of stuff in this story. I will not say not even half of what should be said out of this story. I'm just going to focus on Jesus' courage here. We have it in Matthew 26, and you can see it on the screens. He says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and two sons of, and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Sorrowful and troubled. Then he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. What's going on here? Jesus is one day from dying on the cross. He's one day. He's come here and he's lived his life and he's done all these things so well. But he is about, he knows his flesh is about to be torn off. He knows he's about to wear a crown of thorns. He knows that he is about to be on a cross and be suffocating to death. He knows that he's going to be incredibly dehydrated. He knows all of these things are going to be happening. He knows that he's going to lose massive amounts of blood. And most of all, he knows that he is going to be separated from God. And for the first time in all of history, the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, will be separated. For the first time in all of history. And he is terrified over this. And he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he says to his friend, stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yes, not as I will, but as you will. So he tells him exactly what his fear is and what he doesn't want to do. But then he says, but what you want, I will do. We go on. He says, then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then it says, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is possible for this cup, if it is possible for this great task that you've put before me, if, you, if it is possible for this thing that is overwhelming me, if it is possible for it to be removed, if it's possible that there's any other way, please, if, this, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus models to us courage in the garden. Many times, and this is, man, this is like, look, I'm saying a lot tonight, but if you don't, if, if you get anything, you, this, is, this is it. What, what, is, what I'm about to say right now, many times we think we need to feel courageous in order to act courageous. And Jesus here models to us. He shows us that courage is doing it scared. It's doing what you know to be right, scared. Do it scared. He still did it. God is not going to like, 
He wants us to admit our fears to him, but he, he's not going to lighten the load for you and tell you not to obey him. He's not going to tell you that ob- not obedience is, is an option. Disobedience is an option. He's not going to tell you that. He will listen. He will help you. He will comfort you through it, and he will help you to be successful through it. But he's, he still wants you to do it. And if you have to do it scared, then do it scared. Jesus models to us. It is okay to feel like you can't do it. It's okay, it's okay to want to be terrified, to want to quit. It's okay, but obey. Obey him. If you are waiting to do the thing that you were scared of, if you are waiting to feel like you can do it, then you'll never do it. You... Maybe on those rare occasions, the feelings will come, but the fear, man, that fear, and it's on every level. It's on every level. At first, I was scared to become a small group leader, and then I became a small group leader, and I was scared to talk to people, and then I started talking to people, and I was scared to keep talking to people, <laughs> and then I kept talking to people, but then I was afraid of, like, it's, there's this fear on so many different levels. Have you ever heard of the imposter syndrome? I've talked about it sometimes. Uh, sometimes the imposter syndrome is this fear of being found out, and they say that it plagues at least seventy percent of people. This idea that, well, once people find out who they who I really am, they'll know how smart I how smart I am not, or what I don't know, how much I don't have it all together, how I'm not as smart as all the people around me, and they say that this idea of the imposter syndrome plagues like. They say it's the, it's the trait of the high achiever. If you are trying to achieve great things in any way, you will ha- you, this fear will probably be with you, this fear of being found out. But, but, it's okay. You can do it scared. Fear really is normal. We shouldn't run from fear. We shouldn't be afraid of it. Look, I said it earlier, and I know I said it. It wasn't nice, but it's true. Like, you're not seeing things clearly if you're not afraid. Or maybe you're not really taking any risk. You're not letting yourself be in any situation where you're having to trust God and try something, something that he's calling you to. He's never calling us to settle, ever, If you're not afraid in some way, then you're not seeing reality clearly or you've settled and you've become a little too comfortable. And I just want to say this, a misconception about fear is that you you will someday be good enough. You won't be good enough. As I was reading about the imposter syndrome, because I've known about it for years, but I was like, oh, you know, let me read up a little bit more about it. And I realized I was, I was, because one thing that I think, one lie that I tell myself, I think, oh yeah, Jordan, once you get good enough at whatever, then you won't be scared anymore. But they say that the imposter syndrome, it, it plagues the low-level employee and it plagues the CEO. It doesn't matter where you are on the totem pole. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished. 
fear is there. It's there. So what are you going to do with it? Jesus models, do it scared. And I say it again, courage is awareness plus the resolve to act. No one knew what the cross was more than Jesus. He knew what he was praying about. He knew what was before him. He knew how terrifying it was. He was fearful, but he resolved to act. There's a lot of things that fascinate me about Jesus' courage, and I was going to say some more about this, but the only thing that I want to highlight about this is that one thing about Jesus in his whole life was filled with just incredible amounts of courage. He was afraid to, he, he was not afraid enough to stop. He still spoke the truth to people, even though he knew the consequences. He spoke the truth to his hometown, even though they were ready to throw him off a cliff after the first time that he preached to him. He was afraid to denounce sin as being wrong, which it's, it was hard then, it's hard today. How hard is it to tell people that this is actually not a good thing, the thing that everybody likes doing, the thing that is really popular right now? How hard is that to actually say, you know, that's actually not good. It's not what's best for us. It's not God's purpose for us. That's not an easy thing to do. Most of us, I mean, look, I'm up here preaching, and I always have the temptation. Yeah, let me just talk about the love of Jesus and the love of Jesus and the love of Jesus, which is real and fresh and here for you today. But I cannot. There is another side to the story, which is sin breaks his heart. It separates us from him, and it separates us from one another. It brings terrible pain into our lives, and I can't leave that out. And Jesus is courageous because his whole life, he doesn't leave that out. He was courageous enough to love people that people seemed, said were unlovable. He, he spent time with prostitutes. He spent time with tax collectors, which kind of seems like, all right, what's a tax collector? Like, think of just a notorious drug dealer in town. Think of a shady politician that no one likes, but manages to stay in power. Think of the people that everybody thinks they are the worst, and he spent time with them. He loved them. He pursued them. He spent time at the Pharisees' house, houses. But another thing was he was courageous enough to be honest. And if there is anything, I was thinking about it the other day, and I was like, man, when I think about this idea of being courageous enough to be honest, like, I remember this story of this guy. This guy was, he was in small group. He was, he came to every like large group meeting. He came to all the events and he was never growing. He was stuck somewhere. He just, he was the same as he was when he showed up, but he was around for years. And I remember getting into a conversation with him one time and it was really vulnerable. And he finally opens up and he's just like, man, you know what? I got this sweet job, and the job he had was sweet. It was like one of those jobs where you find somebody has it, and you're like, man, how did you get that job? Like, it was, it was a sweet job. He has a sweet job, and he had it for years. And he said, man, I stole. Like, in my really early days working here, I stole some money. And it wasn't a little bit of money. He told me how much it was, and it was like, oh, my gosh. It was like so much money that he wouldn't just be fired, but he would probably be turned into the authorities, and he'd probably have to go to jail for some, time, for some period of time. It was a lot of money. 
And he's like, man, I stole this. And it just weighs on me. And I was like, man, you got to, I mean, you know what you got to do. It's like, I know. I don't want to, though. It's like, I know I have to be honest. I know what this may cost me if I am honest. We prayed. You know, he goes and he's like, the next day, I didn't know, I didn't know that if he was going to be honest or not. Next day he goes into work, asked to meet with his boss. His boss loves him. And he tells him, he just says, hey, I did this. I'm sorry. The reason I'm telling you this is because I have to have peace with God. And his boss looked at him, put his head down, and his boss put him in prison. And he's been there for 18 years. No, that's not what happened. This is, this is a, it's a, it's a happy ending to this story. It's a happy ending. It's a happy ending. Some of y'all are shaking your heads at me. You're so mad. No, no, don't worry. Don't worry. But his boss looked at him and he said, okay, I forgive you. And the company will act like this never happened. And we believe that you will never do this again. I will continue to trust you. He continued working there. He did never do it again. But another thing happened. His life exploded spiritually. It exploded. It was incredible. Every, it was, he was a different person. Courage. The only thing I want to say about this is a very easy, like, response. Like, it's very simple. It's nothing's complex here. Basil King, Basil King, I think, has the most helpful response that I know to me, and it has been a great blessing to me. He says this, and I think I have the, I think we have the quote up. Go at whatever you are supposed to do boldly, and you will find unexpected forces closing around you and coming to your aid. Go at whatever you are supposed to do boldly, and you will find unexpected forces coming to your aid. First, look at what you are called to do. What, okay, what, what am I supposed to do? What, what am I supposed to do? In whatever aspect of your life, what am I supposed to do? And then go at it boldly. Okay, the feelings will probably not be there. Maybe they will, but they probably won't. Whether they're there or not, I determine that I'm going to do this. And I'm going to take the step to do it. And then you will watch unexpected forces come to your aid. That is one thing that's really cool about, and it doesn't have it here. It's in Luke's gospel. Luke talks about how angels came and ministered to Jesus and encouraged him as he's praying in the garden. And I think about like that ridiculous story I'm telling at the beginning, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, like it was a really courageous decision for me. Look, at that time, I, I wasn't ostracized, but I was kind of ostracized. Most of my friends kind of left me. Only a few stayed with me. I was kind of a joke, but I was like, man, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I wasn't even necessarily interested in God, but that was like one of the beginning pieces for God, like getting a hold of my life. A few months later, I'm like trying to like, I'm trying to do what's right. 
And funny enough, I'm supposed to go to Baylor University, which is a very good private school in, in Texas, and have a great conversation with my dad. It's, it's a great conversation. It's so good that he says, you know what, I'm not going to pay for da Baylor. And I'm like, all right, well, I got to figure out where I'm going to go to school because it's June, and I'm finding out now that I don't have a university to go to because the school I enroll to, I can't go to because you're not going to pay for it. It's like $40,000 a year. I don't blame him. I end up at Sam Houston, which is kind of like the Shepherd University of Texas, you know, where like, it's like, if you're in West Virginia, people are like, they know what Shepherd is, but if, if you're not in West Virginia, people are like, what's, what's that? What, is that a school, you know? And that's where all, we went to Sam Houston, and it just kind of felt like God wasn't, he wasn't like doing anything in my life. But lo and behold, the person who lived, who lived next to me, God, it was God ordained, he put a small group leader to be my next door neighbor. And this small group leader ended up being the best friend that I'd ever had in my life up until that point in time. I'd never had anyone love me like he did. I never, I, I had never had anyone who was like, I, I, could just, I could just relax with. Like I didn't have to be fake around him. He was an incredible friend. He put other friends around me. What I'm saying is, and it's not like anything like over the top, it's just pretty simple and pretty clear. When you trust him, when you say, okay, I'm going to determine to obey you, he'll orchestrate things in your life. He'll look out for you. He'll take care of you. He'll open up doors. And he will make it so that you... Think about the most frustrating moments of your life. The moments where you look back with shame, where you wish that you took on courage. Was it not, didn't you know what you should have done? Usually you did. But because of what other people were saying, because of the pressure, because of what it might cost, because of whatever fear, you chose the lesser option. And you have regret for that. And then think about your greatest moments. Think about those moments that you are proud of. Those moments that you look back on and you're like, oh, thank you that I got it right, Lord. Thank you for the strength. It may not have felt like strength in the moment, but you looked at what you knew you should have done. And even if you didn't, sometimes I've like taken steps when all of the rest of my heart was like, no. But I keep walking, and I'm like, I will walk. I will do it. The last thing I want to say, and the band can come back up. I'm pretty much done. I am done. The ancients. The ancients used to say, and these are like philosophers from antiquity. So like before, think of like before 1000 A.D., the philosophers from antiquity, they said that there really wasn't a bunch of virtues. There was really only one. There was one virtue. Modern philosophers think they're kind of ridiculous because it's like, how are you going to say there's only one virtue? What about love? What about happiness? What about, you know, like honesty and, tr and, and all these different things? And they're like, no, it's only really one. It's one virtue. And that's courage. Because even if you're going to be truthful, you got to be courageous enough to be truthful in the moment when everything is pressing on you to lie. 
or when it comes to standing up and being like, oh, okay, like, I happen to be someone who, here, people have sex as a hobby. It's not even about relationships. It's a hobby. Y'all know I'm right. People have sex here to pass the time. That's not a cool decision to say that I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until I get married. Even if I already have had sex, I'm going to choose from now on to wait. That takes courage. You think about standing up in your classes and let your, letting yourself be known like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I'm going to have to deal with the fact that y'all might call me a hypocrite, but yeah, I'm a Christian. I actually love Jesus. All right. That takes courage. Even if your feelings aren't there, do it. Just do it. Just determine. I resolve that I will do this. Don't wait for your feelings to follow. They usually won't. But the angels came and strengthened and encouraged Jesus. And he will send mighty forces that you usually don't expect to help you along the way. He will make you successful if you are courageous for him. That success may not always look the way that you think it's going to look, but he will give you success. And not only will you have success, you'll have the greatest success because you'll end up being with him at the end. I'll pray and we'll be done. Father God, I know what I had to say tonight was really simple. But Lord, I just believe that this does speak to everyone. I don't know anyone who is not fearful in some way, especially when they are honest with themselves. Help us, Lord. If we have few fears, then help us to be listening to you enough to not be settled and satisfied or to not have an unrealistic view of our own importance and our own whatever. And then, Lord God, if we aren't settled and if we are looking at what you're telling us to do, but we're so like gripped by fear, then I just pray that you would encourage all of us tonight, encourage, giving us the courage to do what we know we ought to do. Encourage us, Lord God, to take those steps to you, to be courageous in all aspects of our lives so that we may look at all of our lives, Lord God, with joy because we are in your purposes. Help us to do this, Lord. Holy Spirit, help us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.